When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Pop Culture Confidential, and I'm Christina Yerling Biru. Hey everyone, welcome to Pop Culture Confidential, a part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. So way before COVID-19 engulfed the world, showrunner Patrick Somerville was pitching his idea for the show Station Eleven. It's a post-apocalyptic show about joy, a show about our need to feel, he said. Now, was that really possible? And now, many, many months into the real pandemic, the show has premiered, and yes, it was possible. And yes, we do need to feel. And for anyone who's followed me knows that I was just blown away by this show. I felt and I felt. I met Patrick Somerville and his producing partner, Jessica Rhodes, in our three boxes over Zoom, as is the way in the new order. And I was thrilled to talk to them. Patrick Somerville is a novelist who wrote on David Lindelof's The Leftovers and is the creator of Maniac. Patrick Somerville adapted his friend Emily St. John Mandel's 2014 novel, Station Eleven, into a 10-part miniseries. Executive producer Jessica Rhodes has shows like Utopia, Sharp Objects, The Affair, and The Village to her name. The series Station Eleven follows several interconnected characters through different timelines, maneuvering before and after a devastating pandemic where billions died of a respiratory illness with a 99% fatality rate. We meet characters like Jeevan, played by Hamish Patel, who through a chance meeting with a child actor, Kirsten, played by Matilda Lawler, ends up caring for her. A Shakespearean troupe that travels the Great Lake regions performing for survivors, as art really has the power to heal. My conversation with Patrick and Jessica ranges from stories of the production to some deep thoughts on the human condition as portrayed in their show, about the powerful themes so relevant considering the collective trauma that we all are in now, like grief and reuniting with someone you thought you lost. But also how audiences really don't want twists. That's the old Damon Lindelof rule. How much damage a book like The Lord of the Flies has done to Western civilization. And how airports really are museums of civilization. A word of warning, we do talk about the entire series, 10 episodes, so there will be spoilers. Here is my conversation with Patrick Somerville and Jessica Rhodes. But first, Station Eleven. Stay with me, sir. Stay with me. Where? Where's your mom or dad? I don't know. I can't leave you here. I'll walk you to the L. I think this thing is really happening. You can see it out there. Hey, can I have your attention, please? We have shelter. We have food. This is the best thing that could have possibly happened.
We're the traveling symphony. We travel for a reason. Just try to make the world make sense for a minute. No one finds people from before. Somerville, Miss Rhodes, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having us. I remember the last person to call me Miss Rhodes. Miss, <laughs> Miss. <laughs> so I've been doing this for a couple decades now, but in preparation, I started to feel really self-conscious because I began, I've been thinking so much about your show that I realized that in my questions, I'm going to reveal myself where I cried, the feelings I have about underdogs and life choices. Oh, just lay down on our couch right here. It's on, just go right ahead. We're, we're lying Welcome down to on our, our emails and our text messages. <laughs> I feel like a, a lot of people are. Yes, because that's what I was going to say that I've heard that I'm definitely not the only one. You get a lot of thank yous for good cries. Why do you think that is that the reaction is so personal to this show? Jessica, I'd love to hear what you have to say. Well, I think the reaction to the, the story would have always been personal because everyone experiences trauma, small and large, but there is something that we as humans have gone through collectively, you know, a, a collective trauma in the last few years. But I also think as caregivers, there's a very specific trauma, this need to keep going, keep walking, uh, like Jeevan says, you know, to, to kind of, even when you're scared to, to hide that and to create, to mask, you know, that's not exactly what Jeevan says, but we you know, pretend, this idea, yeah, we're, we're the grownups, we pretend the grownups. Not, yeah. We have to pretend, there it is. We, we have to pretend we're not scared. It's Frank, you know, I think that idea is um, ev everyone, whether actually parents or friends or teachers or nurses, there's so many people who care give each other friends. And I think so many people just kept marching for the last couple of years. And there's something about just sitting in that um, that's a little cathartic, I, 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 is my hunch. Yeah, our culture... In America in particular, I don't know what culture, but I actually maybe I can think of some that are much uh, more open to emotional expressions from from adults, uh, like, and it can be gendered, like men crying is problematic. I think uh, if you're at the high council of men, uh, the gender uh, <laughs> control zone, or, uh, and I think like, you know, at work, you know, showing emotional work, there's not a lot of space in America already, but I think uh, we've gone through something that is bigger than that. And I think then I think there's it's we just need to feel and communicate how we feel. And what the other thing I'll say is I was talking to one of our writers, Sarah McCarran, yesterday uh, about the hug. <laughs> uh, like why? Because the hug. The hug me, between Jeevan and Kristen. Yeah. At the end of episode 10. Um, it's funny because there's we pitched the show and kind of conceived of the big moments before the pandemic. And I told the story of the hug in the pitch meetings and often got, got, got tears there. Um, and I think there's something about, there's something deeper about reuniting with someone you thought you lost that is going on there that I think it, it the way this show played out, it became our emotional moments became our story waypoints and so, so because of that, the language of the show somehow is in a, in an empathic space more than 
sometimes they are. There, there's something about grieving too. We haven't really talked about this, Jessica and I, but um, you know, I'll speak for myself. I lost my dad uh, four years ago now, and I went right back to work uh, two weeks later and made a whole show, made Maniac. And there's a, a bit of the Wisconsin worker blue collar element to it where it's sort of like, I'll power through that. Um, I don't think powering through anything ever works actually. And it feels like it's working at the time, but grie grieving takes years and, and it has layers and has profound uh, kind of, it comes back and we are grieving so much right now, but have not had time or space because we're keeping our households together and like our sanity intact. We have a lot of grieving we have to do of the lost. Like we've, we've lost a million people uh, more. We've lost, our kids have lost childhood. We've lost a lot. And like, it, it takes space and time and creativity to grieve and just more years than we've had. So I think this is just sort of speaking to what Jessica said, like there's a lot of big feelings encased in caverns <laughs> inside of us that need to be there a bit. Um, and I think the show kind of pops, pops some stuff open. But I think you also have to be in an extremely safe place to pop yeah. those things open. And yeah. I think something that Patrick and the entire team cared deeply about was letting the audience know they were in safe hands. You know, our show has surprising reveals but it's not trying to catch you off guard it's not trying to trick you it's not trying to mislead you know i think there's a very uh, something I've, I've i've heard in conversations is you feel safe watching it and i think that lets people's guards down to kind of access their their own emotions or wherever we meet them where they're at it's so unusual for a show like this that the promise at the end is that we're going to keep finding ways to love each other, to take care of each other. Um, I mean, it's not a Lord of the Flies type of deal that I think people have gotten so used to. I think nothing did more damage to Western civilization than the novel Lord of the Flies. Do you guys remember that article a few years ago, the bunch of schoolboys that were a real, the real story, they were marooned in 1965, and it turns out that it was not like that at all. These Guess boys what? helped each yeah. other the whole time. They made a perfect anarchic, anarcho-syndicalist commune that helped each other and were not incentivized to undermine each other at all. <laughs> Look what we do. <laughs> Look what we do when left to our own devices. So Jessica, the book came out in 2014. You started this project a long time before COVID-19. Was there at any point since you were filming um, when it started that people said, oh gosh, we're in an actual pandemic now. You got, you had pressure to change the storyline at all. Well, we had already shot episodes one and three, Hero Mirai's directed episodes, when that, you know, very, very shortly before. And so I think as we were in the edit and we were looking at it, we, we kind of knew the connection between the material and what was really happening in the world was um, maybe fraught you know, maybe was going to, to be something that you didn't emotionally want to continue kind of as, as an audience watch, but we just trusted, I think ourselves, I think it's fair to say, and we still wanted to make it. We desperately wanted to be in these stories coming together and making these. And I, and I think that it, it helped obviously that those two episodes existed, but those are the hardest episodes to, to watch, frankly, um, in our pan in pandemic head. Right. In, you know, like 
oh my gosh, this is a real thing. That's a real. And so I I can't speak for Patrick. I can just speak for myself and and those of us like something about this show was going to feel good for us, was going to be good for us emotionally. And I think that we just had faith, everyone involved with the studio and network as well, that that feeling that was going to feel right to us was going to feel right to to the audience. My name is Cindy Burnett, and each week I interview at least two traditionally published authors on my podcast, Thoughts from a Page. We talk spoiler-free about their books, so you can listen whether you have read the book or not. And then we delve into things that you most likely won't hear about anywhere else. The importance of the cover design, why they included various aspects of the story, personal details about both the books and the author's lives, and so much more. You can find the podcast on every major platform and learn more about it on my website, thoughtsfromapage.com. Thanks so much for checking it out. Now, in our group of pandemic survivors in Station Eleven, um, I don't know what you want to call them, but I sort of see them as underdogs. You have Jeevan, who's who's sort of the rudderless of the siblings, a bit more than the others. The wonderfully complex Clark, who is always never sort of been in the lead. You have Tyler, the overlooked child. It's interesting. I think that you've chosen a lot of people, or the book as also that get second chances. Certainly. And this is something that we talked explicitly about in the writer's room. And I think there's something to the fact that the writer's room happened before the pandemic. That is part of the bigger conversation we just started that the, we were always sort of pointed in a direction that was toward a unusual uh, examination of this genre and like healing centered. But I think a lot of uh, the conversation that came up a lot was if catastrophe strikes, there are there are new kinds of you that can grow. Um, that doesn't mean that they're good. <laughs> that 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 uh, that can mean any any new kind of you. That can mean a more empowered you. But that can also, in Clark's case, mean a mad king. You know, like if if we have a bunch of pent up stuff that is not explored, and then we get a lot of power suddenly i think like that's dangerous um because he's very good at some things and very bad at some things so he's very good at convincing people to listen to him and very bad at um like making the right choice sometimes or taking care of himself uh he's self-destructive so i think it was like we really wanted to tell stories where okay there's a before and then there's a rift and there's a new space sometimes a new flower grows and sometimes a, a invasive weed grows, <laughs> and and I think um, it's not just good news, and and it, that's especially true because it's not good news that eight billion people died and and we suffered unbelievable amounts of suffering. It's not good, but maybe something good can come in moments of great uh, cataclysm in the future. For example, the baby apocalypse, or uh, as I heard someone else call it, was bed, birth, and beyond. <laughs> oh, yeah, that, was, yeah, that, that was Joanna the yeah. Uh, yeah, from the Prestige. Yeah. Yes, that was amazing. That's sort of Jeevan's sort of path there. This is not in the book. Can you talk about how this came up and what your thoughts were around this? Sure, I, I could, but I'd like to hear Jessica talk about it. <laughs> Jessica? Well, I mean, you can speak to it from a writerly point. I think that, you know, it was important one of the the beauties in the adaptation from from me as a as a, as a part of it but also as a as a viewer and a lover of the book is 
I did want to know more about so many pieces we didn't get to see in the book. And so, you know, for, for Patrick and the, the team, where Jeevan's journey came from, where he got to, you know, where we found him uh, was new for the series from the book. But I, I, I'm, you know, he's asking me because I'm such a lover of this episode. I, you know, we. Not, that's not the only reason you're, you're a mom. Uh, and and, I, and I, I don't think I think we've heard from dads talking about what it's like to be a mom enough. <laughs> well, I think it honestly speaks to I think what what the the idea of episode nine and Jeevan's journey was a little bit. It's funny, the conversation we just had about Lord of the Flies and, you know, what really happens. And I think the the idea of like one female doctor would create a labor maternity, you know, up center and women would help each other. And I think that's there's there's a the the moment where Laura says, I'm in labor, but I can also help. I, I think that spoke to any I'll say any, I hope any woman who's ever, you know, given birth, there's only so many examples that that in in the television and film space where a woman's not losing her mind somewhere instead of having like yeah. peaceful, methodical moment where you're also, I don't know, bringing life into the world. And, and in this case, repopulating um, and, and, you know, doing I, work, it count, and, you know, doing actual that word gets used as like an experience, but it is work. You were doing work for hours to bring to bring for months uh, and then years ahead, in advance. And I'll, I'll just say too, to yes, and Jessica's point, I'm sitting in my office in Echo Park right now. And the day uh, I signed the lease, I, I wanted to bring my wife to come see it to make sure the vibe was right <laughs> because she has good vibe sensors. And she was in labor. She came, we drove and she's like, I think I'm in labor. And, we, and then we were walking around and looking. And she's like, yep, definitely. And then, you know, our baby came six hours later, but she was walking around assessing the quality of the light uh, at our spot. And like uh, speaking, like th- stories that have done terrible damage to Western civilization. Number one, uh, Lord of the Flies. Number two, every story that shows a woman screaming at her husband, you did this to me uh, as and not, you know, not in control of herself. It's like a joke or something. Like that's just not it. That is just not it. One of my favorite things that we have, we almost framed it for the nursery, but that felt wrong, uh, is for my second child. I have my call sheet, my work, all the calls I need to make. And on the side of it are my contractions being timed. And I just kind of was just keeping going until it got to form. And I was like, oh, all right. I really got to, I got to stop now. You know, were, like, were you rolling calls too? I was rolling another calls. Sheet? <laughs> I was. Justin loves, my husband loves it. But it's like, I think that, um, but, but to me, I think the most important thing as it relates to Jeevan is yes, we, we were able to create that world, but no one teaches him, tells him how to help. I think that they, it's a really important trait when he's told like, just it's Jeevan, go help. Like just help. Like you, you, you don't always have to follow directions to be taught. I think in terms of also, you can just listen to your, you know, to really pay attention and listen. And that is how you help. That is how you're, you learn in his case to be a healer. I feel like Jessica's saying it in the nice way right now. And just, I, I feel like it's annoying to ask someone, how do I help? Because that it's like, learn it. You're smart. This is, a, it's, this is I'm men. I'm speaking to you. <laughs> It's a thing to say, I want, I want to help, but I don't know how, how can I? That's, that's a, that's a jo- new job you're creating for the person that you're asking to assist. So like, figure it out yourself, man. My mom used to say that growing up, 
I can't help you help me. There you, oh, there you go. Bang. And I like, don't think I understood it as like, by the way, like a woman in the world at the time. I just remember as a kid being like, but I just need, where's the thing for the window? Um, (laughs) (laughs) But another thing that when he's delivered the baby and if you leave with orchestra maneuvers in the dark, we've seen a little bit of Pretty in Pink in the beginning. Dr. Terry raises her arms in that John Hughes, you did it. That That's like the scene where every underdog in a John Hughes movie gets the love that they deserve at the end. I think I just, there was so much like just muscle memory from all this pop culture that just came through with that little, that song there. Thank you, John Hughes. You gave us a little language to tell our story with a, a little bit better, I think. But what I wanted to get to was the importance of art. And, and and you mix these high and low. You have Shakespeare, you have the graphic novel, the Independence Day speech, the incredible Tribe Called Quest scene. Um, you guys, what piece of art has saved you from trauma or in trauma? Station Eleven, yeah. <laughs> if, I'm being, if I'm Maybe being honest. Station Eleven over the last three, yeah. But I would, uh, I know your question didn't quite mean that, but back in college, the only, I've only really been depressed once, I think in life. I don't, I don't think I'm predisposed, but I got kind of stuck in a bog sophomore year of college for, I don't know, three or four months. There was a novel uh, called Dog of the South by Charles Portis that I found right in that time. And um, I had never, I took a summer class, kind of got depressed the second like on day one of the class, got the syllabus and all the books and immediately quit the class and went home to my parents' house and was kind of not okay for a little bit. But I had Dog of the South and I read it and it was Charles Portis just wrote fiction in a way that released me from something that I felt like I was stuck in. As, as someone who was aspiring to be a writer, I was sort of stuck in the canon in like Syria, like something. And and he's just so funny and so wry and so humane and warm, uh, but he's so very good at, at making fun of idiocy and he does it with voice. And it was all, it was just a combination of all of these elements of the craft that I didn't know you could remix into this way and do do it this way. And I read that book that summer, maybe four times. I just read it four times in a row. I've never done that before or since dog of the south and i was like what is this magic and and i i really think i slowly kind of crawled my way out of the thing that i was in by holding on to like one rope mm-hmm. <laughs> that was there uh dog of the south and it just uh, i was so lucky that i found it right then i don't know what that summer would have been like without it so the ending is just amazing, especially as a parent. Patrick, it's not very twisty. It's very comforting. And one of the things you said that this comes straight from Glendalough's school of twists. People don't like twists, you've said. Could you explain that a bit more? Well, so Damon always, you know, Damon is the king of the twists. I should mm-hmm. like start with like, and I rem- he, you know, this is the person who crafted Walkabout, one of the best uh, episodes of TV ever made and then he also uh, was responsible for the finale of season three the we we have to get back to the island episode when jack has a beard and i remember i read a quote from him he gave at the time i didn't know him then i just was a fan uh who said it was so exciting to know that we had we had figured out a big one and it was like being a kid hiding behind the couch when your parents are with their friends watching 
a show and you've all managed to sneak up behind the couch and you're going to jump out and go boo and surprise them. And they didn't know you were there. Like we had him. And I'm like, he loves that kind of thing. But Damon's, I think insight always is like, you have to give people the evidence in advance that it's coming. Like, you know, when you're the parent, you hear your kids creeping up back there, you know, they're there. You, you like, you have to have a couple kind of ways of easing people into being ready for it. And like, you know, Kirsten and Jeevan reuniting isn't a twist. It's like, it's just what everyone wants so badly. Or the only thing so we did, you gave us that. <laughs> the only thing we did was make it seem like maybe they were going to miss each other. And that, that was never going to be the way station 11 operated. I, there's a really amazing Freakonomics episode of their podcast that, that goes deeper into this question. Um, I wish I could name it. I can't right now, but anyone who likes, there's a, there's a podcast about twists that gets into this matter about like what people want. And then, because people feel really upset, I think if you don't do the, the work at the front end, like it's, I don't know of a good example, like six cents, usual suspect are so money mm-hmm. in, in those moments. So like, well, oh, I can't believe this is happening, but I knew, but I didn't know. But there's, what's a good example of one that's sort of like, that's not fair. I don't need to, we don't need you to. You know, we don't need to ding someone. We've already t- taken <laughs> yes, on uh, we Lord want of to the know Flies. Now. Yeah. <laughs> no, they have their own. I think it's. We've already <laughs> dissed one of the most important books. In- Your words, not mine. Yeah. <laughs> One of the things that's so amazing with the show is time and how important, I really got a feeling of how important it is to live in the now and and how you are, you know, cutting back and forth. How much of that was scripted? How much was editing? Well, it's the novel, really, that that informs that idea at the start. And I think Emily's novel is like our show in that the past is present. And, and they're, they're both riding with you at the same time. This is our, this is my experience. Like my dad haunts me and advises me and is dead. Uh, and I remember being six with him and all, 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 it's all here right now. So I would say to answer your question, most of it's scripted, the big ones, you know, uh, End of episode two and Kirsten's the text messages, Clark and Arthur fighting in episode eight, um, what are some other big examples the like the way things flowed around in seven um with the two characters embodied but then with Mackenzie yelling at Alex oh right oh yes and so but then I think if you set the intention at the top at the script level then uh you have opportunities in the post level to double down on that idea so you know, there's examples of things that weren't scripted that were little flickers and flashes throughout that we found as opportunities once we knew, like, this is the idea of the show. It was a language you really built in the script. And then the incredible editors were able to use that language to kind of, I think, script other, th- create other moments too. But I think it's also it was such a, like, one of my favorite things is once Kirsten and Jeevan are back together at 10, we don't flash to the past anymore. Exactly. They- now is now. Um, so I was a kid. I spent a lot of time in airports as a kid um, alone because my we lived in L.A. My father lived in Indonesia. I, I pulled three teeth waiting when I was because I had nothing to do. But Wait, I saw, literally? 
Yeah, I was just sitting there. I had loose teeth. I just had nothing to do. And I remember there, there was a woman who was supposed to be sort of looking after me at one of the airport. But she was and finally, when I came with the third tooth, she was like, no, no more teeth, please. <laughs> it was just By the way, that right there is the Station Eleven Sharp Objects mashup. Right there. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the, teeth, the teeth. You had a Wrangler. But exactly. Like it needs to be said. Yeah. But I was going to say is that I saw people grieving. I saw people in love. I saw people coming and going. I saw all these nationalities. I mean, it's a, it's a, and I was thinking it really is the Museum of Civilization, even though it's not a pandemic. And Jessica, talk a little bit about this set. Yeah, I mean, by the way, uh, Ruth Ammon, our, our incredible production designer, also a lover of airports yeah. uh, and spending time in them and kind of watching the world work and 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 all the things you speak of. I mean, the incredible thing about the airport and the genius of, of, of Ruth and ambition, ambition of the show is we built a portion of the airport in an airport, but then many portions of it in other spaces. And, you know, this, this show needed to have it evolve from a space that was familiar to so many of us coming and going. And, you know, for some people, they love an airport and other people, it, it represents some purgatory, you know, and I think it had oh, to I be- I love an airport. <laughs> but, but I think it had to be that. It was that for Clark, you know, like it had to be that just space you were, you were stuck in. On your, on, your way, on your way to get to where you're trying to go. I love airports. I, you know what's amazing? Seeing people making out in an airport. Like if you're just standing on the like moving walkway and you look over and two people are just like deeply emotional because it's a goodbye or a hello or uh, or strangers who meet at airport. That's a very exciting story too. Like, uh, yeah, anything can happen in those places. Yeah, I have a good one about that. Again, when I was like six or seven um, on a flight, I used to take a lot from uh, Los Angeles where we lived to my dad. Arnold Schwarzenegger would fly, um, would take that same flight quite often. Um, he wasn't all that famous then. I think he just was doing like Conan the Barbarian or something, but he was really nice to me. And a few times he sort of remembered me um, and said hi. But once when we um, deboarded the plane, I walked by him and he was making out tremendously with his girlfriend. Nothing unusual, but for a six-year-old, that shocked me. That's terrifying. Gigantic man. Yes. I don't know why I said that story, but lots of I love things happen in airports. Get the chopper. Anyway. Jessica, in 2020, I read something you said, and I can't believe it's already almost two years ago, but you wrote, could it be for all the connections this virus has severed, it may have forced us to carve out solutions that will ultimately increase our human bandwidth. Has it? When did I say that? Um... I said this in a Variety article about productions in general. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I do, I do think it's so, I mean, it's funny because we started talking about how we're in these squares now talking to each other. And I, and I think that we're now on the other side of having spent, I think, two years here. And, you know, that was on the beginning of it. But I do think what it taught, you know, I was, I, there I was speaking specifically about post and how we had, we had come to accept that a large portion of humans would just have to spend their time away from their family waiting, uh, not working, not doing or creating, but waiting for other people. And that what I think is kind of amazing about what the pandemic has taught us is that 
as much as all of us, many of us want to be back in the world and want to be socializing and want to be back even in our places of work, uh, we can do it. We are flexible enough to create other ways to connect, other ways to build schedules, other ways to whatever. And so I think that, um, I don't know, I, I think that in some weird ways, we are now much more, I'll say just for myself, sorry. And Patrick, I think can can attest to this. I have I talk about my kids all the time now. I talk about my family all the time now. Those are things I didn't really in the fan in the workspace. That was my life, and other people had their life. And you know, I think now those those worlds have bled. I don't think people have like black and white anymore. They have the home space and the workspace or the friends space, and I don't think we have the we we lost the ability to. Everyone saw us, you know, for exactly what we are. People, people saw kids rushing behind us. People, you know, I hear all the time now with like very important calls, kids in the background, people at the group, like people have just like become more human, I would say. And I think in that there is something pretty astounding in connection. Well, we were human and but maybe pretending that things were more siloed than they are actually. Like it's a good, it's a good reminder to remember the person on the other in the other box uh is probably is having a day as complicated as yours yeah um but like the box makes you not think it but the pandemic makes you remember it it's a strange new remix kind of of, of how we how we navigate professional and, and personal in our country patrick you speak started this project you read the book already your friend's book in 24 and, and you wanted to do something about sort of a post-pandemic and joy um and at the same time it's so weird that you're doing this and we have you know how strange is that, that we're going through a real pa pandemic do you see that there is joy for real i mean that that these things that you guys these themes that you've been working on is it that way i mean the world's the world there's some so some some joy and a lot of struggling, and uh, we live in a, a a very unequal world too. So I would say that like I would be an idiot to say that joy is uh, you know everywhere, but I would say like it's in a lot of places that you don't expect it to be, um, and I think that we're in the same boat when we get out of this pandemic that we were before we just might have some new tools hopefully but um the world's messed up and in like we built it and so i think I, I i would love to live in a future that has more space for joy whether or not that's going to be true i don't know let's like let's 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 get through covid and uh see what happens what's next for you guys jessica Can you say? we're currently casting a show right now um Together. Uh, uh, well, together together and we have we have some exciting things going on together this was a this was a um this was a really special show i know we we, we all have other things going on other producers too and the actors and you know everyone has the other things they're working on but this is a this is one of those shows where everyone really did want to keep working together and so we're all finding ways to do that ah so yeah. the castle more to come more to come on that front uh probably down the road but i think i think uh being successful with this project just means that that we're going to be able to keep doing more fun things down the are road are you saying there's a season two coming i'm not saying anything. <laughs> lord come of on. the flies you know. edition <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
the undersea spin-off animated adventure no no there's no there there isn't uh there's nothing specific that we can share yet but i think maybe there will be but fingers crossed thank you very much for your time please stay safe and thank you so much for this show that really affected me very much well thank you for sharing in it and thank you for your airport stories the, the schwarzenegger <laughs> story is next level I'm I, have, <laughs> I have so many airport stories you know? <laughs> yeah the teeth too come on yeah, that's yeah. good stuff thanks christina thank you thanks christina bye bye Thank you so much to Patrick Somerville and Jessica Rhodes. Station 11 is on HBO Max now. Go check it out. And thank you so much for listening. Um, please subscribe to Pop Culture Confidential wherever you get your podcasts. And rate and review the show. Spotify has a new feature where you can rate the podcasts you're listening to. So if you're so inclined, go give us that five-star rating. Thank you so much. See you next time. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Warriors in Their Own Words, a podcast that presents the unvarnished, unsanitized truth of what we have asked of those who defend this nation. As a country, we need these stories more than ever. Stories from Americans who have borne the battle, including 30-year-old remastered interviews with veterans from World War I recounting their time in the trenches of Europe, and with veterans from World War II, Korea, Vietnam, and from our most recent conflicts in Iraq, Afghanistan, and other battlefields Americans may never have heard of. Hear their stories by listening to Warriors in Their Own Words wherever you find podcasts.